Hello and welcome to Overinvested, a podcast about pop culture obsessions. I'm Morgan and I'm here with my co-host Gavia. Hello. Today we are discussing the Oscar nominations for the 90th Academy Awards. I'm very excited because the Oscars are my favorite thing in the world. They are very stupid. Our friend Kristen emailed me today asking how I could take the Oscars seriously and she included a screenshot of the best animated films. I will read them to you. We are not going to discuss them, but I just want to sort of set the tone here at the beginning. Um, The best animated films are Coco, Ferdinand, Loving Vincent, The Breadwinner, and The Boss Baby. So on that note, let's sort of understand that I love the Oscars, but they are dumb. Whatever. It's fine. That being said, I watched the Oscar nominations this morning and screamed with delight on multiple occasions. I was shocked. I I think I care more than usual because for for Morgan this is really a sport. She is very yes. invested in yeah. all of it. But like usually I'm just like, well, I'm disappointed and annoyed, but also I don't know or care enough about most of these things. But now I'm just like, ride or die, Sally Hawkins. <laughs> <laughs> well, she will not win, so prepare yourself for that now. I mean. You were telling me, like, a couple of weeks ago, like, The Shape of Water is just not going to get anywhere, and it has more nominations than anything else. It is the Lord of the Rings of this particular outfit. Um, yes, and but yeah. Francis McDormand is going to win, so just settle in. It's going to happen. <laughs> I'm going to read the nominations for Best Picture so that we are all on the same page, even though I'm sure all of you listening have looked up the Oscar nominations by now. The nominations for Best Picture are... Call Me By Your Name, Darkest Hour, Dunkirk, Get Out, Lady Bird, Phantom Thread, The Post, The Shape of Water, and Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. So, a lot of this was quite expected in terms of Best Picture, and a lot of the nominees were also quite expected because there are so many precursor awards, um, SAGs, Golden Globes, various Guild Awards, Critics Awards, etc., but also, they get to have a really fucking long shortlist. So they've basically covered everything. Yes, but I meant I meant the category awards too, which we will yeah. get into. However, there were some very exciting surprises and some omissions that we were not thrilled about, which we will also discuss. But the biggest story in terms of surprises was absolutely that Phantom Thread got six nominations, which I don't think anyone was anticipating. No one was expecting it to get nominated for Best Picture. And literally no one as in not one single oscar pundit on the website gold derby which is where like the punditry is accumulated i don't go on there but that's the source literally not one of those people had predicted that paul thomas anderson my favorite man and favorite (laughs) and favorite film director would get nominated for best director when they announced his name i actually let out like a strangled yell of just pure joy I was so happy. This was unexpected. And I'm really pleased. One of the best movies of the year. Very weird. I didn't think anybody had even seen it. It just came out. I am so excited. So it's not come out in the UK yet. And I've actually been avoiding watching the trailer for it. Because I was like, I know I'm going to see it. Because it's about fashion and it's weird. So I was just avoiding it. But then a trailer for it showed before the post. And I had such an extreme emotional reaction to watching this trailer it like obliterated the post i was just like i w- i had so many like artistic feelings happening inside my body just from watching this trailer um 
So who knows how that's going to turn out when that film finally comes out in two weeks. I'm highly anticipatory now. I literally did not watch the trailer. It screened in front of a movie that I saw and I closed my eyes and did not watch it because I was like, I refuse to engage with this. I must be like, be pure when I watch it. We're going to do an episode of that film, so I don't want to go too much into detail yeah. about it. But I loved it so much. Uh, I think when I made my list, I had to submit it for something. So I had to do it a couple weeks ago. And I had only seen it a few days before. And I think it came in at number six or number seven. And I think I wrote in the list that I just put up on my website, like, this is a movie you have to think about. And I'm certain that it's going to sort of rise in my estimation as time passes and I see it again and I think it more think about it more and even in the past couple of weeks I already am like that movie was amazing and probably would put it higher now which is fine like it doesn't matter but I was so excited to see it get so many nominations it also got nominated in best actor for Daniel Day-Lewis in best supporting actor for Leslie Manville best score for Johnny Greenwood and best costume design for, let me find his name, I think Mark Bridges. Yes, who, of course, is an incredible job. And I can't imagine how he could lose unless The Shape of Water wins literally every award. But even though I've not seen Phantom Thread, I would not pick The Shape of Water necessarily as the costume. No, it would be outrageous. It would be outrageous for anything to be phantom thread in this category the dresses are unbelievable like they had to basically create a couture fashion house in london in the 50s and have it be plausible and it completely is like there are so many beautiful dresses it's it's my dream i can't wait to see this (laughs) so that was really wonderful to me and let us use that to talk about best director which is absolutely far and away the best category this year. So let's just start off at the top and then make our way down into the shit. (laughs) What a good list. Yes. Best Director, Paul Thomas Anderson, Phantom Thread, Guillermo del Toro, The Shape of Water, Greta Gerwig, Lady Bird, Christopher Nolan, Dunkirk, and Jordan Peele. Get out. They all deserve it. It's wonderful. (laughs) It's just wonderful. I would sub out um, Guillermo del Toro, which I know you would not, for um, Luca Guadagnino for Call Me By Your Name. I mean, he also deserves it. They both, like, <laughs> it's just such, I mean, admittedly, I've not, so Lady Bird and Phantom Thread obviously haven't come out here yet, so I've not seen them, but, you know, I'm pretty sure they deserve it, so. <laughs> well, this is the thing, right? So the director's branch last year nominated Mel Gibson for Hacksaw Ridge, which was one of the worst things that the Oscars has done in quite some time. Criminal. Yeah, real bad. But they actually, historically, at least in the past, I don't know, decade, whatever, um, have made some really interesting choices. They also have sometimes done things like nominated Morton Tildrum for The Imitation Game. So it's not all rosy. But because they're quite a small branch... They and the way the Oscars work is that the like the directors nominate for best director and the you know costume designers nominate for costume design and they all get to vote for best picture. Um, they're a very small branch, which means that they are very white and very male, but they will sometimes vote for very kind of odd artsy movies, which can be really cool. So, for instance, in 2012, which was 
definitely the most wild and exciting Oscar nomination morning that I can remember. The lineup that year included Ben Zeitlin for Beasts of the Southern Wild and Michael Hanukkah for Amour, which... Oh, and Terrence Malick for The Tree of Life, I think. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good Or no, list. maybe Malick was the year before. I think Malick was the year before, but that was another example of like a very artistic choice that no one was really expecting. But Hanukkah and um, Ben Zeitlin were both completely out of left field. No one was expecting them, Ben Zeitlin especially. And then Ben Affleck for Argo did not get nominated. And it was a thing of pure beauty. Like, really, it is, really they wonderful. They really picked the right Ben. Wow. Yeah, exactly. The correct Ben. The only Ben. <laughs> right. Um, and Beast of the Southern Wild actually did, did really well at the Oscars, which was completely unexpected and, and was the most excited I've ever been um, about the Oscar nominations. But uh, I don't think it won anything, but it honestly didn't matter. It was just like, who gives a shit? This is mm. amazing. Which I think is the best attitude, actually. It's way better to care about nominations than to care about who actually wins. It's impossible to totally psychologically convince yourself that that's how it works. But because the winners are so often so bad, as I think they probably will be this year, although, of course, like, who knows? Moonlight won last year, which no one was anticipating. It's much healthier to be like, wow, Phantom Thread got six nominations. It will probably win one, maybe two, and that's fine. The nominations were a surprise. I'm happy. But anyway, regarding the directors, it was possible that they would go a really boring route this year and not nominate either Greta Gerwig or Jordan Peele, or even both of them. But because they do make interesting choices sometimes, it was like, I was hoping that they would both get in. And I actually thought it was possible that Sean Baker from The Florida Project would be the kind of really artsy one. And unfortunately, The Florida Project, which we both loved, basically got shafted across the board, yeah, which is... It's quite the, obscure. Is the one really kind of sad thing to me about... And also, these... everyone's had, like, a year to see Get Out. Yes. Although I was still quite surprised it got nominated because it's a genre film, but I think it's benefited from all the pretentious people who hate genre being like, it's not, it's not like a real horror movie. And it's like, it is a real horror movie. And it's also good. <laughs> it's both of those things. <laughs> yes. Well, they had a year to see it, but that is not usually an advantage at all. Well, yeah, it's because it's had a year of buzz, rather. Because right. usually what happens is something comes out in January and everyone forgets it. Right. And the fact that it's had that much buzz is a testament to how unbelievably good and interesting and just, like, zeitgeisty it has been for so long. Like, I think that movie is going to be the movie that people remember from this year in terms of just, like, social impact, right? How many people have made jokes about The Sunken Place in the past year? One gazillion. Like, everyone has made that well, joke. my parents have purchased it on home DVD. <laughs> but regarding the horror movie thing, I had a really funny conversation with my mom and my brother when I was home at Christmas trying to convince them to watch this movie. My brother only likes horror movies. Not literally, but, like, he, he wants to see a horror movie because he's a rube. And my mom will not watch horror movies. Like, she will not. Any blood. Like, nope, she's out. And I was convincing both of them to watch it by being like, it really is a horror movie, but but it, you're going to be fine. <laughs> like, it's, it's fine. <laughs> and both of those things are true, right? Like, you can absolutely watch this movie, even if you're squeamish. Like, there's some violence, but it's not. Like, you'll be fine. And 
I they still haven't watched it, of course. But then when I was home again a couple weeks ago, I was talking to my dad about it, and he and his wife had just watched it and really, really liked it. Of course, it's great. And I was describing this conversation I'd had with my mom and my brother, like laughing about it, and he was like, "Well, it's not really a horror movie." <laughs> and I was like, "It clearly is a horror movie. Like, what are you talking about?" And he was like, "Well, but not like really a horror movie, like where they're slashing people up." And it's I like think they are. <laughs> That's well, exactly what they're well, doing. <laughs> yes. And I made this argument to him, but, and was trying to explain also that, like, literally what that movie is doing is creating a feeling of horror in you and the main character, right? And he kind of was like, yeah, okay. But I think for a lot of people, the idea of horror is like slasher. Oops. Yeah. Right? And so it still is remarkable and, like, crazy that a horror film that is definitely, like, genre and all about how white people are awful got nominated for four Academy Awards. Like, this because I was, we, I was shocked. Well, see, because we've been talking about it so much, like, I thought there was a chance it would not show up. But I was predicting it and was really excited when... It got in, and particularly when Daniel Kaluuya's name was was read um, very poorly, but delightfully, by Tiffany Haddish. Um, but just because it has been so buzzed about and then taken seriously, I think it is easy for people to forget how completely unprecedented this is. Like, it's not... It's, it's wild. And I think part of it has to do with the fact that people do have this conception, even in the industry of horror, is like gore. And there is a little bit of that in Get Out, but not really. And obviously when Jordan Peele was making this, he wasn't sitting around being like, what can I do to make this horror film palatable to the Academy? <laughs> like, that's, like, not at all. But I think that is kind of a side effect. And it's just so great he got nominated for his first movie. Greta Gerwig is the fifth woman ever to be nominated for an Oscar. Jordan Peele is also the fifth black man. So we they're, they're trying to catch up. <laughs> She's the first woman since Catherine Bigelow in 2010 to be nominated for directing. It's just not great. It's not a great track record. But I was very happy. That movie is just stupendous. And I was actually concerned that Nolan might get left out for Dunkirk because that movie had been fading a little and he didn't. It got eight nominations. And I was just like, oh, thank God. Like, this would be too much of an indignity. Like, the metaphor everyone had been using recently was, like, Lucy with the football and Charlie Brown and just, like, whipping it away again. I was like, no. Please, no. Uh, so that was good. And then uh, your man, Guillermo, got in for The Shape of Water. And yep. is almost certainly going to win. So congratulations in advance. Do you have anything to add? Um, no, I didn't. I have no gauge over which one of these is the front runners. I'm actually a bit surprised to hear that you say that Guillermo is um, but I do think the get out thing kind of it kind of overlaps slightly with Logan being nominated in best adapted screenplay because mm -hmm. I feel like obviously Logan is incredible highly recommended um, and I also wish that Patrick Stewart had got a shout out for his performance in that yes. film because it was amazing um, definitely deserved a nomination for best supporting actor but um, that definitely benefited from being a film where people are able to watch it and think well it's not like a normal superhero movie is it because it's like serious because it, I mean it is serious like it is very 
smart and like it's gritty but it's serious in a way that people can engage with very easily if they're not a fan of superhero movies and i saw a lot of people being like oh it's just shocking that wonder woman got shut out and it's like it is not shocking (laughs) (laughs) like wonder woman is a good superhero movie which falls completely within the lines of what you expect from the genre in a well-executed way and the only difference is that it's a woman and that's right. why it's so effective because like i mean you know you listen to our wonder woman podcast we both loved this movie and had really big emotional responses but the idea of this being nominated in anything other than something like costume design is just a bit ridiculous i mean obviously there's no such thing as best in a picture material because loads of garbage stuff has been nominated but in a fair and just world yes and this is not a denigration of wonder woman which as you said we both thought was wonderful and that as far as like social impact go, I hate calling movies important, but that was a really important movie. Yeah, but it doesn't. It also doesn't need the Oscar because it's important right. like, on its own. You know, <laughs> it made a gazillion dollars. It's fine, and Logan was a better movie, I think, and it was definitely better written. Like no question. I mean, I would, I would have loved to have seen. I mean, this was never going to happen, but. Thor Ragnarok, I don't think it was nominated for anything. It may be nominated in one technical category or something, but I don't, I think, don't it think it was. But just the the writing and kind of general concept behind that film is just incredible. And like at some point, Taika Waititi is going to get nominated for something because he is a living genius. But partly, I guess the screenplay issue is like a lot of that film was improvised, so they can't really be like, what a great screenplay. But um, there was just so much kind of political depth and stuff happening in that. And it's just never going to be taken seriously in the same way as something like Logan because it doesn't have that veneer of serious grittiness. See, I considered this when I was making my personal lists, which I keep track of the whole year. And um, I think Thor Ragnarok is better film than Logan. I think both of them are really, really good, but I think Thor is better. Uh, But I think that were I voting for the Oscars, I could not in good conscience vote for Thor Ragnarok for any kind of screenplay because it's all made up because it's all <laughs> improvised like the I mean not literally all of it and the concept as you said is really really smart but the amount of that press tour that they spent being like yeah we just fucking made all of it up as we were going along like I just don't and like literally Taika Waititi I don't think even has a screenplay credit like it's some it's other people yeah. so like I don't think that that would would be no. just <laughs> Which it should have gotten nominated for costumes, but that's a different conversation. Yeah. Why don't we talk about uh, screenplays, though? I think this is quite an interesting set, both adapted and original. If we do adapted first, as we were just talking about Logan, this is really unusual this year because usually adapted screenplays has a ton of Best Picture nominees because a lot of Best Picture nominees tend to be adapted from like prestigious novels or plays or whatever. And this year... Actually, let me check. I mean, this year I it's think... some random shit. Like, it, 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 is, th- some, it is a strange selection of material. Because it's, think... it's Call Me By Your Name, The Disaster Artist, Logan, Molly's Game, and Mudbound. Yeah, all of the Best Picture nominees except Call Me By Your Name are original screenplays. Which is very cool, even if I don't uh, care for all of them. Um, and so, it would be absolutely shocking if James Ivory didn't win for Call Me By Your Name. And then they basically had to come up with four other things to nominate along with it. And I was, as I was sort of like racking my brain for like, what the fuck else would I even nominate? Like it's a, it's a really weak category. What I would have put in there would like Lady Macbeth 
is a, has a really impressive adapted screenplay, but that's not the kind of thing that the Oscars would ever go for, right? Like, I think Logan is the second best in this category easily. I think it has a great screenplay. Molly's Game, do not get me started. Fuck Aaron Sorkin. <laughs> I hated that movie. The disaster the trailer was enough for me to be like, this is not. Oh my god. clearly sexist. I, I know Aaron Sorkin oh. intimately. I've watched almost all of his work. I know exactly what he's going to do, and it's going to be trash. <laughs> yeah. And not even, like, it's not even, there's nothing good about it. It's just bad. Also, in addition to being sexist, like, just, ugh, ugh. The Disaster Artist, in addition to its James Franco problems, like, I enjoyed that movie a lot when I watched it. I thought it was really funny and entertaining. I don't think the screenplay is particularly deep. I've watched The Room several times, and I also read the book, like, long before the film came out. And it's one of these books where it's kind of a a ghost-written, like, biography, basically. So there's, like, a journalist credited along with the guy. So obviously it's, like, him telling what is clearly a slightly skewed version of events in a rather self-absorbed way to a journalist yes. who's then writing it. And it like, it's just, it's quite, it's an entertaining book. And it's also an entertaining movie, although I don't think it's as good as a lot of people seem to think it was. And I also think it's distractingly full of cameos. But one thing the disaster artist did in terms of adaptation was that it gave the main guy this weirdly positive role. So they make him much more sympathetic than he is in reality slash the original book. And they kind of, make it seem like he's being more morally upstanding and kind of standing up to the weird and abusive behaviour from Tommy Wiseau, when in reality there was no evidence of that even in his own biography, his own memoir. And also in real life, obviously, his entire career has been kind of mooching off this film. Yeah. So it's like, that's a, I mean, obviously, like, for this kind of thing, you can fictionalize it and it's not a huge moral problem with the world. But I was just like, it's going to be more interesting if you actually emphasize that the main guy isn't this harmless everyman, but is also kind of a sucker. (laughs) So, because instead it was just like, oh, it's just like a funny um, Dave Franco role. And Dave Franco is very funny and charming, but, you know. Yeah. Well, when I found out at the end, like, when the credits rolled... And I saw that it was written by um, Scott Neustadter and Michael H. Weber. I was like, oh, now I understand. Because they wrote, among other things, 500 Days of Summer um, and The Fault in Our Stars, etc., etc. And they, they, I actually haven't seen The Fault in Our Stars. Because uh, why would I do that? But they just have a... Um, Sentimentality. A sen- Yes, they're very sentimental. I actually read a screenplay that they wrote that never got produced years ago. Um, but th- they have a particular uh, approach to things that is very manifest in The Disaster Artist, which becomes a sort of story about two guys and their friendship. And I was like, this is not interesting. <laughs> um, and they, I think, tend to oversimplify things where to, for that movie to be really interesting, it needed to get really fucking weird. And it, yeah did not but again there are so few options in this category that i was sort of like sure <laughs> that's fine i don't know um and then the other screenplay was was mudbound and this is a kind of interesting so the mudbound situation is really fascinating to me because this film was directed by d reese who is a black woman she previously directed the film pariah which i think is an amazing movie that i would recommend everybody you know seek out I'm sure it's on Amazon whatever and it's also on Netflix so this is I mean 
released theatrically for a week somewhere so that it could get be eligible for the Oscars, right? But the way almost everyone experienced this was on Netflix. I saw it on a big screen at the New York Film Festival at a press screening. But um, I did not massively care for this film. And I also feel profoundly ambivalent about it getting nominations because I am quite opposed to Netflix's way of releasing movies, which is to basically not release them and then to not promote them almost ever. So for Mudbound, because they wanted to get it nominated for Oscars, they did advertise it and put up billboards and ads in the subway and all that kind of stuff, which is great for Mudbound. But they buy a ton of movies and then basically do nothing to yeah. promote them. I've, I've heard very positive things about Angelina Jolie's movie, which I've not seen, but Netflix bought it and then nobody watched it at all. Right, because they did nothing to promote it. I mean, I that movie like came out on a day and I didn't even realize it had come out. And I didn't see it on Netflix. I had to go down like five rows and scroll over to even find it. Um, I watched yeah. part of I that. I mean, Netflix spent a lot of time and energy promoting Bright, <laughs> the extremely right. bad film, which is unfortunately getting a sequel. And then they decided that Mudbound was a solid Oscar choice. Um, but I've not seen it, so I don't have any judgment on that. And right. then there's just like dozens of films that I guess we'll probably never notice because they've sunk to the bottom of the pit. <laughs> right. So there's they have one film this year, a Georgian film called My Happy Family, that I wound up watching because the film critic at the Village Voice, Bill Gabiri, who's really great, thought it was the best movie of the year. He tweeted about it incessantly for like two weeks, and I was like, okay, I have to go I have to watch this film. It is incredible. My Happy Family. Go watch it. It's on Netflix. You don't have to pay anything if you have a Netflix subscription. And they did nothing. The only reason I heard about it was that Bilga had tweeted about it. I think it got like 10 reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. There's like 10 and mainstream like big films will get like a couple hundred, right? And I just find this very, very aggravating. And obviously not every film can get a big theatrical release. Just there aren't, there isn't room for that in the market. But I really do not care for their business model at all. I find Amazon's much healthier when Amazon makes a movie, they release it theatrically in a real way. So something like Manchester by the Sea got a real release and then it went on Amazon Prime and Netflix does not do that. That being said, Mudbound is one of the only movies this year that had any profile that was actually about black people and made by black people. And it, the cinematographer, Rachel Morrison, was nominated, and she was the first woman ever in the 90-year history of the Academy Awards to be nominated for cinematography, which is obscene. Like, that is absolutely ridiculous. So, and, like, there are good things about the film. I'm not trying to say, like, it's a terrible movie. I just, it didn't really connect yeah, with I'm me. I'm guessing it's better um, than Molly's Game. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, absolutely. 100%. But interestingly, the things about it that I found the most frustrating were the screenplay, which I think really does not work as a as an adaptation. Like you can tell that there are all of these different strands that don't really fit together and there's way too much voiceover. Like it's just quite clunky. And then Mary J. Blige also got nominated for Best Supporting Actress. And she's totally fine. Like it's not a bad performance, but it didn't stick out to me in any way. And there are a couple other performances. I think I talked about this on our New York Film Festival podcast Garrett Hedlund and Jason Mitchell are both superb in the movie. And the fact that she got in over them is more a testament, I think, to what was going on in those two categories. But I sort of was like, I mean, I'm not upset 
about Mary J. Blige. Like, congratulations. Good for you. She seemed very excited. But the whole thing was a bit like, you know, on a political level, this is great. I'm not going to complain. But I, I was just like, eh, whatever. Like... I mean, if you want to check out Mudbound, it's also on Netflix. It doesn't cost anything. And I know some people who really, really love it. So Yeah, I've like, seen a lot of people you know, being kind of going across my Twitter being like, this is an incredible yeah, film. But Call Me By Your Name is definitely going to win that category, and it should. So Yeah. Call Me fine. By Your Name. Brilliant. Yeah. Well done, everyone. Um, and then Best Original Screenplay is also interesting in a different way. Because the nominations for that are Guillermo del Toro and Vanessa Taylor for The Shape of Water. Greta Gerwig for Lady Bird, Emily V. Gordon and Kumail Nanjiani for The Big Sick, Jordan Peele for Get Out, and Martin McDonough for Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. And guess which one is probably going to win of those five? It's going to be your best friend, Three Billboards. (laughs) It's just so agonizing because otherwise that's a very good lineup. I mean, as you know, I don't like The Shape of Water as much as you do, but like that would not in any way be like a bad win. And the other three, I think, are really wonderful. I am very happy for Camille, because while I'm never going to watch this movie, because I don't like any kind of fiction about illness, um, it's pretty awesome, because like he, there's, it's one of those situations where he clearly would never have expected to be nominated for, like I think, multiple Oscars. No, just the one. Or just one. Well, he's been nominated for one Oscar, and it's just like... That's not something you thought was going to be happening this year, so well done. Whereas the others, I mean... Yeah, they were campaigning that really hard, actually, the basic, for, like, when it came out. So they definitely wanted it. But yeah. the movie faded, so I, it was not at all... Like, I was a bit surprised to see it in a in a good way. I was really happy for them. Yeah. Um, And then Greta Gerwig, Jordan Peele, and Martin McDonough were the sort of sure bets, I would say. But I think Martin McDonough's going to win because everyone sees him as like this visionary playwright and sees the writing of free billboards as its sort of creative strength. I think particularly given the fact that he didn't get nominated for a director, it seems like the writing is definitely what people are seeing as the thing, which is just appalling on every level. Like what is, Oh my God. No. (laughs) So that will be painful. I mean, I would love to be surprised. I definitely think that um, Greta Gerwig or Jordan Peele could, could win that. Like it's, it's not sealed up, but it seems like Brian McDonough will probably do it. And that's a bummer. But I, oh think I'd, well. I think I'd pick Get Out over The Shape of Water out of the two films on that shortlist I've seen. Yes. I mean, the thing about that movie is that it's so simple in terms of its concept, but it's genius. When I first saw it, I thought it was really good. Like, I, I thought it was, like, great. But then it took a second time. I saw it again more recently, and I was like, oh, it's a fucking masterpiece. Like, Yeah, I'm shit. really looking forward to seeing it again, because everyone says it's one of these films that works better the second time. And it, that kind yeah. of, in that sense, it kind of reminds me of, like, the Cornetto trilogy movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think this is obviously a bit better than those, but they kind of work on that kind of genre comedy way the first time round and then the second time round you're like holy shit the structure of Hot Fuzz is like a fucking immaculate duel <laughs> <laughs> so before we do acting and a little more about picture why don't we talk 
just briefly about any things that stuck out um, in the technical categories. We're not going to go through all of them like we have been with these. But um, I will say about the two music categories, I was absolutely ecstatic that uh, Johnny Greenwood got nominated for Phantom Thread. If he doesn't win, I will scream. I will just die. Uh, he quite famously was ruled ineligible for There Will Be Blood 10 years ago for bullshit reasons, despite <gasps> having easily the best score of any film that year. And I think they were actually quite embarrassed about it in retrospect. Um, and he's finally gotten nominated for Phantom Thread. I bought that score and have been listening to it. And it's just, I can't even describe to you how good it is. Like, it's a beautiful object completely independent of the movie like the score for there will be blood is also really incredible and you can definitely listen to it on its own but it's not pleasant because it's not supposed to be like the movie is not i mean i find the movie great to watch obviously like i've seen it so many times um but it's a really fucked up film and phantom thread is quite fucked up also but it's about like beautiful dresses and like this sort of luxurious world. And I don't find it as sort of horror movie-esque as some other people do, I think. And I think the score uh, confirms my point of view because it is so beautiful in a way that is very sort of just relaxing to listen to. I, I just love it so much. And I was just very happy for him. And then also Sufjan Stevens got nominated for an Oscar for the wrong song and call me by your name, but that's fine. I'm not going to complain. What on earth is a Sufjan Stevens performance at the Oscars going to look like? What is he going to wear? I literally texted one of my friends being like, what hat is he going to have? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I have had multiple conversations today being like, what's going to happen? <laughs> like, what if he just comes and wears a tux? That would be the biggest surprise of all, to be honest. Like, Anything, anything's possible with Sufjan. I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, that would, I would be shocked, but I feel like if knows? both he and Michael Shannon both just wear normal tuxes, it's going to be the biggest disappointment of the night. One or both of them has to do something. Well, maybe he'll wear a tux on the red carpet. I don't actually think that that's what's going to happen, but like, let's, in my thought experiment, maybe he wears a tux on the red carpet and then comes out for his performance and is wearing like the most batshit, like just over-the-top Sufjan-esque costume of all time, and the people who don't know his deal are like, what? Old man Academy members are like, what's happening? <laughs> like, I don't understand. <laughs> but yeah, my teenage self, with both of those things, is just like getting a lot of validation today. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson is my favorite filmmaker. Sufjan Stevens is my favorite musician. And they've both been nominated for Oscars. So I'm feeling great. It's excellent. Um, would you like to speak about costume design? Your area of expertise. Yeah, in fact, today I uh, even wrote about this, as usual. Because I have the <laughs> same problem that I do every year, which if you've listened to last year's Oscar podcast, you will recognize, which is that <laughs> the costume category is always garbage. Um, which is kind of weird, right? Because it's like, it's obviously selected by costume designers, but they invariably choose a list of historical dramas. They will, you know, usually it'd be something like, you know, 60-40 split between pure historical drama and like a couple of fantasies, usually historical fantasy. Maybe you'll get a musical in there, La La Land was in there um, last time around. But this year it's Beauty and the Beast, Darkest Hour, 
uh, Phantom Thread, Shape of Water, and Victoria and Abdul. So that is all historical dramas. Obviously Beauty and the Beast and the Shape of Water are historical fantasy, but like, fine. Admittedly, I've not seen Darkest Hour or Victorian Abdul, but I feel safe in judging them to not be particularly revolutionary work. And I have seen Beauty and the Beast, and that should not be there <laughs> at all. Um, because, like, I mean, so the, the costumes in Beauty and the Beast are by Jacqueline Dern, who also did um, Darkest Hour, the Winston Churchill film. She's a great costume designer. She's done a ton of really impressive work. Um, she did the Macbeth with Maya Cotillard and... Uh, Michael Fassbender a couple of years ago, which was really interesting, kind of um, quasi-historical fantasy costumes. But, like, Beauty and the Beast is, like, actively not good work, you know? It's, like, the only thing in that is the dress, which a lot of people found disappointing because it made this, like, weird limp triangle of, like, a Disney princess dress. And all the other costumes are completely run-of-the-mill fairy tale fantasy costumes, right? And most of that film is CGI anyway, so you don't actually see that many human beings. It's, like, should not be there. Star Wars should be there. <laughs> like, if there is one thing that we can presumably agree on in this film that I still adore and you don't like very much, the costumes are a very impressive accomplishment. They have a lot of character-based detail, they've got loads of world building, there was always a ton of visual symbolism in the Star Wars movies. Um, the like every single tiny background character has to have their own backstory and visual style and all that kind of stuff because they're all going to be in some fucking nerd encyclopedia which will be on my bookshelf. I will know their name. They will have like a little handbag which has their mother's purse in it or something. You know, it's like <laughs> they are. It's a very impressive artistic feat. Michael Kaplan designed the costumes for The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi. It's just really impressive work. You know, it's it's more impressive than most of the films that have been nominated over the last three-year period, um, just in terms of just the pure aesthetic accomplishment and all of the other kind of technical world-building shit that goes into making a sci-fi franchise of that size. And it is honestly wild that it's been shut out. Unless it turns out that Michael Kaplan is like a serial killer and that's why none of the other costume designers have nominated him. <laughs> like, it's just baffling to me. And also, I mean, I was actually also surprised by Blade Runner 2049. Because while I did not like that film, it seems like kind of a shoe in because the costumes were really obvious and that film was marketed really heavily on its aesthetic. So while I don't think it really built anything on the original Blade Runner, it looked very similar. It seemed like the kind of thing that would get picked. I wonder if it was too much just the coat. The only costume I remember from that was the coat. Ryan Gosling's coat in that was frankly Oscar worthy, but the rest of the costumes didn't stand out to me in a like in a strong way. I mean, I would have um, picked it because I think that I feel like the cyberpunk genre um, is extraordinarily unoriginal because it's yeah. not evolved since the 80s and people don't people who are making big budget cyberpunk material as with altered carbon the recent tv series from netflix which i did not like at all um partly for this reason partly because it's sexist but like basically people haven't thought of any new ideas since the 80s and a lot of it is just plugging very tired tropes into a certain visual style and it's like why haven't the fashions changed since the original blade runner and blade runner 30 years later they've not thought about it but once again, does seem like the kind of thing that would get nominated, and I would prefer to see that over Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, that one is really inexplicable to me. And I have seen Darkest Hour, and I saw people tweeting about this being like, why? I don't... I mean, they're fine, it's but it's in no way remarkable. My feeling about this category, and I laugh at you every year, being like, they're all <laughs> historical dramas and fantasies! It's like, yes! Like, every single year! And I feel like the costume designers clearly just like, there is something about the technical accomplishment of that that they clearly 
particularly admire. And that's part of how they judge this. It feels much more kind of insular because you can, I can definitely understand the psychology behind it because you're like, I can tell that this person who's in my field has done an incredibly impressive job that's not going to get recognition anywhere else. So we should give them a prize. But in terms of what I'm getting out of it as like a viewer or a critic, what I'm getting out of it artistically, I get more out of the costumes in something like the Florida Project or John Wick 2 or even Triple X 3, which had amazing costumes than right, I do but out of a lot of these historical dramas. But, you know, there's I kind think, of two sides to that debate. I think that they're looking more... Like, I think the costumes of the Florida Project were really great, but they are undeniably less of a technical accomplishment than oh, no, the for costumes sure. in the fan, in, uh, Phantom Thread, right? Yeah. So I think that that... And a lot of the technical categories, actually, like, people get always get worked up every year about like inevitably there's a nightmare film that gets nominated for something and it's always technical category and sometimes it's something like passengers is just nominated for production design for completely in- inexplicable reasons it, that no one will production. ever understand like, not suicide squad got nominated for makeup and that was wild because the makeup in that film was was noticeably was bad. bad but oftentimes it's a terrible movie that gets nominated for a technical category that it the technical component yeah. was good and so like that is actually what they're supposed to be evaluating this on and the people who are evaluating it are the experts in their field at that and so i'm always kind of like well whatever so for instance like we were talking um with a couple of our friends today about like baby driver getting a couple nominations and the two of you did not like that movie and we're like ugh. But it got no- Baby Driver got nominated for Best Film Editing, and I think the sound category. Yeah, I mean, those, I I'm not correctly. bothered with that because obviously, it's right? like the whole film is just an advert for why it's really good at editing. Right. Yeah. It's just that. <laughs> and like, I liked Baby Driver, and I didn't love it. And given the spacey stuff, I feel like I never want to see it again. Like, there's just a, it's in a weird position as a film now. Um, but I'm completely okay with those nominations because it was really good at those three things. Um, This lineup of costume design, even within the confines of like, it's probably going to be historical stuff or fantasy stuff. I do not understand. Uh, Phantom Thread is superb and the Shape of Water has great costumes. I didn't see Victorian Abdul because why on earth would I have seen Victorian Abdul? (laughs) But I just, you know what? Victorian Abdul and Darkest Hour are both just propaganda films, but they're also of the type of, reasonably well-budgeted historical drama that we get you know four or five off every year yeah but they're not even like showy like the beguiled no. yeah the beguiled because someone mentioned should have been in here me, why isn't the beguiled nominated and it that seems like a much more right games <laughs> yeah what should have been in here but again would never break through because it's not the kind of film that these people watch at all is again Lady Macbeth which I mentioned yep. earlier should be Lady and, Macbeth. oh my god the costumes in that are again these like very impressive 19th century gowns but they also really contribute to the story and were yeah I mean they, they mic'd them they put they put the yeah. microphone in the gown so you would hear the creaking of the corset and the rustling of the silk and stuff and it really added this kind of thriller soundscape to it just incredible um yeah i mean like obviously i'm not hating on historical dramas i would have put that in this category but you know yeah it's not exactly a huge blockbuster no nobody saw it okay let's do the actors so um 
I already mentioned Mary J. Blige being an um, actress in a supporting role. The other nominees in that category are Allison Janney in I, Tanya, Leslie Manville in Phantom Thread, Laurie Metcalf in Lady Bird, and Octavia Spencer in The Shape of Water. Uh, Allison Janney has won all of the precursors and seems poised to win. I have not seen I, Tanya yet because I've been avoiding it because I know I'm going to hate it, but I'm going to suck it up and see it soon. Um, I think Leslie Manville of the three, four I've seen is the best. She's definitely not going to win. I would love Laurie Metcalf to win for Lady Bird. She's so wonderful in that film. And I don't understand why Octavia Spencer is nominated, except that they love The Shape of Water a lot. Yeah, I was quite surprised, because I, like, I really like Octavia Spencer, but her role in that just wasn't something I'd considered, because, like, it's just, I mean, she does, like, four of that role a year, like, (laughs) you know. (laughs) I mean, I think she got nominated for one or two precursors. I was expecting her to be nominated, but I still was sort of rolling my eyes. And I think Octavia Spencer is absolutely great. Yeah, so I was listening to the Ringers podcast about the nominations coming home from work today. And it was very good. I'll link to it in the show notes. But uh, Kay Austin Collins was talking about the Octavia Spencer's sort of career situation. And I thought he was very astute about it because she basically plays the same character over and over and over again. That's clearly how she's been typecast. It's the role she's given. She was nominated for an extremely similar role in Hidden Figures last year and was, I think, the least interesting performance in that movie, probably. Which isn't to say that she was bad, it's just that she does the same thing over and over and over again. And I think well, of she's all about the- to do a buddy comedy with Jessica Chastain. Oh, I know, and I am psyched. But she won an Oscar for the help playing a variation on this role, and it seems like since then she's basically just been doing the same thing, at least in the films she's been nominated for Oscars for, which are, I think, three. And I found that part in The Shape of Water, and many people have commented on this, to be absolutely the least well written like she really does not have much depth at all and she's just kind of there to like be Octavia Spencer and I think that's the weakest link in the movie and what he said and of her and Mary J. Blige was basically like if you're a black woman an actress there are essentially two ways to get nominated for an Oscar and it's these two roles and I was like "Mm, that's true because Octavia Spencer in The Shape of Water is playing essentially a maid as she has in most of these roles like a maid type character who's kind of spunky and then Mary J. Blige is like a stoic mother of a like sharecropper family and she suffers and I was like oh no (laughs) this is a testament to how fucked everything is like so I'm looking forward to the comedy with Jessica Chastain which Jessica Chastain like helped write because she clearly was just like I'm over everything gotta write your own stuff or else it's just like it would be uh, wonderful to know what her true opinion of Aaron Sorkin is given how outspoken she is in general oh no she loves him I was at the MoMA screening of that movie and she was just going on and on and on about how wonderful he is well that's fascinating yeah it was real I had to leave it was actually so awful that I had to leave because she was talking about how much of a feminist he was and I was like I can't deal with this that's not true um, <laughs> yeah 
Also, Octavia Spencer in the in Hidden Figures, she's playing like she winds up running the department of of the whatever organization. It's not NASA. I guess NASA, whatever. But which, like, obviously, not a maid, but she's playing the similar kind of like helping character, right? And it's the same. She has this very similar demeanor, and I just think she's a really good actress. And could be doing a lot more interesting things. And clearly this is what Hollywood has decided that she can do. And there's definitely a racial element to that, which I find very frustrating. Um, And regarding this performance in particular, there are definitely other performances that were better this year that didn't get recognized. And like, I'm not mad about Octavia Spencer getting nominated for an Oscar, but it's a bit like, okay. Apparently, though, she campaigns like nobody's business. And so that's why they're always just like, oh, okay. Go sure. for it. Yeah, Go and I mean, it. like, if you're going to do that, then good for you for showing up. You make it happen for yourself. <laughs> However, that category, even though I have some qualms with it, is 100% better than actor in a supporting role, which is the worst category in all the Oscars this year. Agreed. Solid oh agreed. Oh my god. I will read it out. You take a breath. The nominees in this category are Willem Dafoe for The Florida Project, Woody Harrelson, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, Richard Jenkins, The Shape of Water, Christopher Plummer, All the Money in the World, and Sam Rockwell, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Where is Michael Stobark? Where is Michael Stobark? Well, see, if you had been paying the close attention that I pay, you would have noticed that he got nominated for neither a Golden Globe nor a SAG, and was not going to get nominated for an Oscar. Which is insane. Just to jog everyone's memories, Michael Stobarg played the dad in Call Me By Your Name and had a scene which moved everyone on planet Earth to tears. He also had a kind of tertiary role in The Shape of Water um, and a more tertiary role in The Post, which I wouldn't particularly consider important. But like his role in The Shape of Water was good. Yeah, and his role in Call Me By Your Name was like brilliant and really memorable and I think it's going to stick with a lot of people for a very long time. Um, yeah. You know, fortunately, you know, he's getting recognition critically and he's not exactly aiming to go and star in like a massive blockbuster movie, so it's fine for him. He's clearly getting a fuck ton of work, but even though I've not seen some of the films on this list, I agree with Morgan. Not a good category. This is so bad. It's so bad. And... Army Hammer also did not get nominated, obviously. And the thing about this is both of them obviously should be in here easily, no question. And the way I kind of feel about it is Army Hammer got what he needed to get from this film and award season, which is that everyone takes him seriously now. And his entire career is completely changed. So he's fine. He should have gotten nominated, but like, it's all good. He will now have other opportunities that he definitely would never have had if this movie didn't exist. So, like, congratulations. Yeah, good he's, job. He's, he recently did an interview where he said something that I do not think he would have said two years ago, which is, I don't want to do a superhero movie. They're bad. Yes. So, so <laughs> he's made, like, awesome. And Michael Stuhlberg, as you said, he's going to keep working. I don't think he probably is, like, a massively massively wealthy man on the grand scale of like actor salaries but everybody always in like Hollywood knew he was good anyway and this is even more fuel to the fires like he's gonna keep getting good roles like this but 
my feeling about calling by your name in general and like Luca Guadagnino, as we said, did not get nominated for director, but it did get nominated in Best Picture. Timothy Chalamet got nominated for actor, and then a few other things. I feel like that movie is so transcendently good that it doesn't need Oscars. It doesn't matter. People obviously keep recommending it. Right. It's great that it got nominated because then there will be people who watch it because they see it on the telecast, whatever. But every once in a while, there is a movie that truly is that good that it just does not matter if it gets awards recognition. I remember feeling this way about Inside Lewin Davis a few years ago, where I was quite aggravated that Oscar Isaac didn't get nominated for it because he was definitely the best performance that year. But it now is considered by most critics, I think, to be one of the Coen brothers' best movies, probably their best movie of the century so far. And Oscar Isaac is now super famous. So like, it's, it's all good. It's fine. It did not matter at all that it got nominated for sound mixing and cinematography and no other Oscars, right? And this movie did get nominated for quite a few things. And it, people will be watching this film for as long as people are watching movies. So like, whatever. It's all good. However, the things they did choose to nominate? Like, why? Why have you done this? Woody Harrelson? Yeah, I, I don't feel like, like we need to rehash the three billboards issue, but it's a little weird that they have two men in this category. And obviously, I love Sam Rockwell as a performer. He's very fun but please just nominate him for his work in Galaxy Quest instead. (laughs) Well, the Sam Rockwell thing, like every interview he's given has been so chill and pleasant that it's it's making it a little easier for me. Like in his like official reaction to the Hollywood Reporter, which sort of collates all the reactions from people, he was like, Lady Borden, get out. That's so great. And I was like, thank you. You know how to appease your audience. <laughs> like, good job. Um, Woody Harrelson, like, I love Woody Har- Harrelson as much as the next girl. Sincerely, he's great. I don't, he's just being Woody Harrelson. He's I was about to say, like, is he doing I don't anything understand. other than his usual shtick in this no. movie? And then Christopher Plummer is literally only there because they're impressed that he did it so quickly and also as a fuck you to Kevin Spacey. Like, I've not seen this film yet. I'm going to. And Christopher Palmer is great. I'm sure he's good in it, but like, no, I don't, no, no, no. So if and like Richard Jenkins is good in The Shape of Water, that's fine. Um, but Willem Dafoe should obviously win this. Yes, well, yeah, Willem Dafoe, Florida Project, just yeah. I mean, it's quite hard for me to think back over the year and think what else I would nominate in this category. Um, well, Patrick Stewart. Really- Obviously. Well, no, obviously that's the thing. Patrick yeah. Stewart's the only one I can think of because all the rest of the things I think of are just like really absurd because it's stuff like, you know, just give like a fun nomination to Donald Gleason for Star Wars. You know, it's like, obviously <laughs> that's absurd. So, um, but yeah, Patrick Stewart and Will and Day 4 are the ones that immediately spring to mind. Mark Rylance in Dunkirk. Like, I wouldn't have nominated him for an Oscar, although he's very good in it, but would I have nominated him for an Oscar above Woody Harrelson? Yes. Absolutely I would have. And I'm sure I could come up with more if if I thought about it for more than five seconds. But alas. Um, okay, so lead actor and actress. Uh, let's do best actress because it's boring. Uh, Sally Hawkins, Shape of Water. Frances McDormand, Three Billboards. 
Margot Robbie, I, Tanya, Saoirse Ronan, Lady Bird, and Meryl Streep, The Post, which I think is exactly the list that everyone who predicts these kinds of things was predicting and is fine. I mean, Saoirse is incredible. I, As you know, I love Meryl in The Post. Sally Hawkins is wonderful in The Shape of Water. I haven't seen I, Tanya. And Frances McDormand is 95% going to win for three billboards. So, okay. But I like Sally Hawkins so much. <laughs> Unfortunately, that is not how they decide. Oh, she was so good in Paddington and Paddington 2. Also, unfortunately, that is not how they decide. Frances McDormand wasn't in either of the Paddington movies. I think you should write a letter and uh, make your case Yeah, that way. But yeah, no, I agree. This is not a particularly interesting category. Um, no. Whereas men, the, the men's category is interesting because it includes a film which I would not be surprised if that film turned out to be a hoax um, because I did not know it existed. So basically, here's the shortlist. Timothy Chalamet, Call Me By Your Name, Daniel Day-Lewis, Phantom Thread, um, Daniel Kaluuya, Get Out, Gary Oldman, Darkest Hour, and Denzel Washington, Roman J. Israel Esquire. A film which I did not know existed. And when like I saw his name coming up on Twitter, most of the other responses were people going, I didn't know he made a film last year. <laughs> so, so I'm going to find a tweet from Katie Rich, who's an editor at Vanity Fair, wonderful writer, who tweeted today, Roman J. is real Esquire is basically a non-existent movie, but we can all be glad the Academy dodged a major Franco bullet. And I was like, yes, that's correct. That is exactly uh, how I feel about this. I knew that movie existed, but no one was talking about it. Most of the reactions I've seen to Did it were... Did they just send out, like, 1,500 screeners to every person in the Academy? I th- Clearly they did. Although I also... See, this. it feels like this is what happened, although obviously it's not like the Academy gets together in a room and talks about it, so this is kind of an illusion. Obviously, James Franco, in the week... Like, midway through the week of Oscar voting, all the um, sort of sexual harassment slash assault slash whatever allegations came out against him. Most people, apparently, according to what the internet says, when they get their Oscar ballots, they vote immediately. Because you've been thinking about this for months if you're an Academy voter, you've watched all the movies, you just do it. So I think a lot of votes must have been cast before that stuff came out. However, it definitely seems to have impacted the voting because he won the Golden Globe. He was definitely not a favorite to win, but I was certain he was going to get nominated before that came out, and I still thought he was going to. And the Denzel Washington nomination, he did get nominated for a Globe and a SAG, but I don't think anybody was expecting him to get nominated for an Oscar. And it really feels like a lot of people were like, okay, can't Safe nominate choice. Franco. Safe like, choice. Denzel, do it! Haven't even seen the movie, but like, that seems fine. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of them did see it. Like, I, There's no doubt in my mind, but I bet a lot of people also were like, uh whatever like that's um and apparently at both of those award ceremonies like i didn't notice the glows and i didn't watch the sags but he looked like notably like just pissed off and someone i think on the same podcast i was listening to was like it must be really weird to know you're number five on the list right which he absolutely is like he's never gonna win but you have to show up and just be like hey 
Like, I've been nominated eight times, and no one likes this movie or even knows that it exists. So that's weird. That whole situation is weird. Um, I was thrilled about Daniel Kaluuya, who I thought had a kind of a 50-50 shot, and he got in. So many Skins actors getting nominated for Oscars these days. Well done to the casting director of Skins. Yeah. Uh, Daniel A. Lewis, obviously. Yes, from my experience watching the trailer of Phantom Thread, I agree that Daniel D. Lewis and his haircut deserve this. Well, see, this is the thing about Phantom Thread that's so sort of odd. And in a weird way, wonderful, although not great for her. The best actor in Phantom Thread is Vicky Kreps. I think that's how you pronounce her name, who is the main character of the movie, in my opinion, and the lead actress, who no one has ever heard of. She's from Luxembourg. I'd never seen her in anything. And um, she, I think, is better than Daniel Lewis. I think she's absolutely extraordinary. If I were voting, I would have, I would give her best actress. Like, I think she was incredible. And she didn't get nominated because she is not famous and nobody, like knows who she is it's fine i think she's happy to have been in phantom thread and like that's okay but as a result like people listening to this podcast now will have an expectation that this actress is very good if they go see the movie but i went and saw it and i wasn't expecting her to be bad obviously because like it's a paul thomas anderson movie but i was just like who the fuck is this woman oh my god and because she hasn't been nominated for like anything people are gonna go to this movie now because it's gotten so many nominations and they're going to know about you know Daniel J. Lewis and Leslie Manville is great but she has a smaller role and she did get nominated but they're going to go and it's going to be this completely unknown factor and she's I mean like I can't describe how wonderful this woman is we'll talk about it more when we talk about the movie more but um, it's just funny to me that like one of I think probably the two best performances of the entire year has gotten like no play at all in a movie that's got six nominations but like it's just a hidden gem that's fine well i think uh, her strategy will be to wear something really eye-catching to the oscars yeah i i hope so um the other best performance of the year obviously is timothy chalamet who we must all pray every day until march 4th somehow dethrones gary oldman <laughs> like come on man please yeah um, it really depends on how much a bad press Gary Oldman gets between now and then. I think, honestly, is what will determine this. I, I mean, think if they win, did what but... everyone should do for basically any democratic decision and just let teenage girls cho- choose, um, they would vote, obviously, for Timothy and this right. would be a just exactly. war. But, um, Gary. And also, the weird thing about the Oldman thing is that I have been, or, you know, not me, but, like, everyone has been hearing buzz about how he's definitely going to get the Oscar for like ever this year and it feels like a self-fulfilling thing because that was being said before like 95 percent of the world had seen that movie and, and just no because it's like, it. it's, it's like it's like <laughs> like this year is not a year where there's a ton of quote-unquote oscar bait on any of the lists and that is like quintessential oscar bait well this is the thing i mark harris tweeted mark harris the greatest oscar pundit tweeted that to him the biggest story this of these nominations was that both Get Out and Darkest Hour were nominated for Best Picture, right? And Darkest Hour represents, like, the stodgiest of stodgy old, like, oscar movies. Yeah, it's the King's Speech. Right. And then Get Out is Get Out. And this, the Academy nominated both of them. And as he pointed out, 
like we think of the academy as this like brain right like i literally just said like they looked at james franco and thought we cannot nominate him we have to find someone else but that is so not how this works it's like seven thousand people or something all voting individually and they added in the past two years like a thousand of those people most of whom are young many many of whom are not white many of whom are women who have a different perspective and so a lot of those people are voting for a movie like get out the old guard a lot of them are voting for something like darkest hour and they're all just kind of shoved in there together and it'll be like it'll be quite interesting to see what does wind up winning i think i think it'll probably be the shape of water at this point but because there's a month left who knows the fact that it got 13 nominations certainly suggests that they like it um and i was thinking that anyway even before the nominations came out i think del toro seems pretty safe um i was also love... extremely good at talking about his work exactly he is astoundingly good at talking about his work yes and they have recently increasingly given that award to movies that or to directors who have made movies with ex- like very high levels of technical achievement which didn't always was not always the case but the past several years that's what they've done so they there would often be like a split between for like Alejandro and Yuri two one for the Revenant and then Spotlight, which is not a movie with like massive technical, you know, wowza, one best picture. The Shape of Water is a movie that clearly they all love and is very technically accomplished. So I could see it winning both, which hasn't actually happened in a while. I would love for Nolan to win director and then Shape of Water to win Best Picture, but I don't think that's going to happen. Um, but after Moonlight last year, honestly, like, who the fuck knows? Anything could happen. I would vote for Get Out for Best Picture of these. Call Me By Your Name is my favorite, but I think in terms of like the significance of a Best Picture win, I think Get Out winning would be truly just wild. Lady Bird would be pretty cool, too. And I don't think it's impossible that either of those happen. But I think The Shape of Water is probably the most likely at this point. My final thought, actually, I meant to say when we were talking about Best Actor a moment ago, if I had if I had one addition to the category to, to kick out uh, Gary Oldman or Denzel Washington, I guess. I haven't seen that movie. Let's, let's just pour one out for Robert Pattinson, who absolutely should be nominated. And it's a fucking crime that he wasn't. Such good work this year. Everyone go see Good Time. He he broke through. Film Twitter loves him now. He escaped Twilight, finally. You didn't see that, right? No. Oh my god. Legitimately, like, he was one of the, like... No, I mean, I've heard, he's, I've heard he's good. Yeah. The thing is, I feel like, you know, it's like, either you're someone who emerged from this time period watching the Pattinsons, or you're someone who emerged and watched the Stuarts. And I personally... <laughs> Gavia, I can watch both. I have seen I have seen both sides. I've seen all of them and they're both wonderful. They clearly just watched a ton of Yeah. Movies I think together. yeah, we we kind of talked about yeah. this when we when we were talking about Personal Shopper, um Kristen Stewart's uh fashion thriller last year. Um they both germinated their little indie movie minds while making Twilight together, and I'm very in favor of the idea of them reuniting for something very weird and obscure, like ten years after. You know, get together I, again. I really hope it happens when they're like forty. It would be yeah. so satisfying to me. Um, yeah, 
he was great. Uh, they said actor was a weak category this year, but there were a lot of good performances that didn't get in, including Clay Spang from The Square, the only foreign film I have seen, but I will make sure to see the rest of them. Oh, I just thought I just thought of another best supporting actor. Please. Spaghetti Boy. Yes! Barry Kilko? I don't know how to pronounce his last name. I actually, that, he is the number one on my list that I keep on my computer. Yeah, from um, The Killing of a Sacred Deer. Yeah. There is a I scene actually, where he eats spaghetti. Um, I don't feel like I can elaborate any further. I would actually give him the Oscar. Yeah, because in the same year, like, he's never been in anything before. He did Dunkirk, in which he's a lovable child. And then he did this astoundingly alarming Yorgos Lanthimos art film where he threateningly eats spaghetti at Colin Farrell. It's hard. It is... No, at Nicole Kidman. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's hard to really... That movie's impossible to explain or describe, but his cadence, the way he speaks, is just so upsetting, but in a great way. <laughs> and also the fact that I can call him Spaghetti Boy and you immediately know what I'm talking about really is a testament to the impact he had on the 2017 film industry. <laughs> Yes. I think I put that on my list of best films of 2017 and I think my of my like like top 20 films and I think yes, my commentary underneath it was Woodwatch Barry, however the fuck you pronounce his last name, eats spaghetti for 2 hours. So, there you go. That's my thought. That movie's weird, but I would recommend it if you like to be disturbed. Thank you for listening to this extremely long episode. <laughs> But I have a lot of feelings about the Oscars at all times. So uh, that is that. This will hopefully go up very soon. And if you enjoyed this as ever, we would greatly appreciate uh, a rating or review on iTunes. That is how we find new listeners. And otherwise, you can find us on overinvestedpodcast.com, on Twitter at overinvestedpod, or on Tumblr at overinvestedpodcast. Thanks. Bye.